I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey listeners, if you find value in this podcast and would like to support this project, please consider signing up on Patreon, where you can support the show on a monthly basis in exchange for some extra content and behind-the-scenes updates. Just check out the link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash podcast. I would love to see you there. And now, on with the show. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. And we saw some guys watching on the dinghy, walking by, stopping watching it. And uh, that night... It was quite rolly at the end. It was quite rolly. So we can't hear much difference between, you know, when it's soft, you hear everything. And we had the dinghy hang out. It was locked. But someone came and <laughs> cut the ropes. So we wake up in the morning and there were no dinghy. And uh, a local proposed me that if I give him $500, he can find me the dinghy. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, we are going to talk about some of those epic cruising locations that many people dream about. Mexico, Central America, and French Polynesia. You will also hear about some of the downsides of cruising, like running aground in El Salvador and having a dinghy stolen right off the boat. And also, of course, tips on how to avoid both of these misfortunes. My guests are Sharon and Rico from Gypsy Travelers, who live on their CSY or Caribbean sailing yacht, with their two adorable dogs in French Polynesia, doing both boat work and work work as Sharon works full-time while living on a sailboat. Here we go with Sharon and Rico. So you two have quite an international background from being from different countries and having met while traveling abroad. And I'm wondering, could you give us a bit of a backstory of where you're from, how you met, and where in the world are you now? Uh, I I was born originally, I'm originally from Verona, Italy. Uh, I left Italy around the 20s then and started to travel, but uh, the the real big things uh, was transferring to Cuba. I live in Havana, Cuba for uh, four or five years and is where I met the partner in business that we buy the boat and start to sail around the world. Uh, We sailed from Italy to again the Caribbean. And uh, we start to work with the boat between Panama and Colombia with backpackers because there's no street between Panama and Colombia. So we just do the transfer with, for the backpackers. And, uh, and she was one of the backpackers. Yeah, that's how we met. <laughs> I'm 
Australian. My parents are from Sri Lanka. Yeah, we met when I went to visit some friends in Colombia. And I've always just felt free traveling, whether it's by land or sea. And where in the world are you now? French Polynesia. Gosh, I'm so envious of that location. I cannot <laughs> wait to hear more about that. But I, before we move into French Polynesia, I want to dive into a little bit into uh, your experience in sort of the Central America region, because that is sort of a little bit closer to home for myself and, and for many of the listeners as well. And I'm curious to hear your experiences in cruising in that area, Colombia, Panama, And I know you cruised on the Pacific coast of Central America and Mexico as well. So do you have a favorite country or multiple favorite countries from a cruising perspective in Central America? Mexico. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that, there's a lot of factor to put in, you know, when you're sailing, because uh, obviously there's how beautiful is a country based on the country. And then it is how easy and accessible it is for you with a boat. That country, that's another voice. And then safety is another voice too. Safety includes safety in land, but safety near at sea, it means uh, updated charts. Some country uh, where U.S. people go more often, like Mexico, got really good updated charts. And some other country instead... Uh, Uh, you have to rely to for 20 years old uh, charts and the sandbar move. Rock and reef doesn't move, but sandbar moves. <laughs> so for that perspective, Mexico is an amazing country for us. It's been really lovely. She, with her, we've been in the Pacific. I've been alone on the Atlantic side and both sides, uh, people are really welcoming and Yeah, you have just to try to avoid maybe to, to go around uh, late at night or something like that. But during the day, basically, it's quite a safe country too. You find everything you can find in U.S., but cheaper, good technician, good people that work. Good internet. Uh, good internet, good harbors, all disponibility taxes to entry and import a boat and everything is really, really, really accessible. Yeah, Central America and Mexico especially is definitely, uh, well, I guess Mexico is technically part of North America, but, uh, you know, Mexico is really cruiser-friendly destination for sure. And you're right, it probably is because there is so much traffic, uh, boating traffic from Canada and, and the US there. Uh, and I know you've visited, obviously, the, the, the other countries there as well. And uh, you mentioned, Rico, uh, moving sandbars. And I'm wondering if this has anything to do with your story of running aground in El Salvador, which I heard from Sharon about earlier. Yeah, that, that's happened because we were in a, in a kind of emergency. Now, I don't remember really why we need to go in a marina or next to land, but we have an emergency. I think it was a problem with the windlass. Then I can't fix the windlass of the anchor chain. Then I can't fix or something like that. I don't remember now. I was a bit in stress anyway. And uh, the chart showed me a passage through this really terrible sandbar with <laughs> with uh, waves breaking in. And a few fishermen was around there. So because I speak Spanish quite fluently, uh, I, I asked, I, I started a conversation with this fisherman and I asked them if he can drive me through the canal to go into this phantomatic marina that they were not at the end they were not marina anyway and uh, they they said yeah we drive you and they drive me obviously in the another way different from the map but that they, they look more trustworthy you know and it wasn't <laughs> so we ended up in 70 centimeter of water with a boat all on the side bumping luckily with the with the with the sea tide growing So I dropped the anchor and then uh, at that time we have my mom, the boyfriend of my mom and 28 kilogram pit bulls of my mom. And they were not really, they are not sea, sea dogs, neither of them. So I, I put them on a boat with the fisherman and I said, go on land and see if we can find any way, a way to go in the marina or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we, we stay on board. And uh, oof, 
try to get it out and bumping on this sandbar, which was really scary, but no one got crazy or, you know, driving in panic. Oh, uh, yeah, no one lost their cool. Yeah, yeah. no one lost their cool. <laughs> and, uh, and then thanks to the Spanish and my permanence in Cuba, <laughs> I reached to deal with the fishermen to get more boat, more fishermen boat, and we get till five fishermen boat, everyone with a rope from my boat. The tide was coming up so slowly in one hour. I felt like a Roman on the on the chariot, you know, with a go, go, stronger, <laughs> no, no, no. And finally we get out. We get out and we prove that this boat is a, is a tank of war because in two hours bouncing on a sandbar, the only things that break was the door of a closet. Really? No more, yeah. no damage to the hull or keel or anything? Nothing. Nothing wow. at all. Yeah. How <laughs> lucky. That's amazing. Oh, that's great. So that was in El Salvador. And, you know, I guess the charts just weren't quite there. But, you know, obviously running aground is something that nobody wants to deal with or have to face with. Do you have any tips for somebody who doesn't even have a boat yet? on how there was a little bit more to that story from what I remember I mean we did have a little disagreement that morning (laughs) I don't remember what it was about but I remember we had a disagreement and that was the first and the last time that you know when we have a disagreement that it affects our mindset or or anything when we go sailing and when we're out on the water we did have a disagreement I don't remember what it was about but yeah my role at that time was do the research of where we were going next or and I did. I said like I looked in, in our books and stuff and it what there was no marina. But yeah, we'd we'd all made the decision to follow the fishermen. <laughs> so our tip I guess is don't let your arguments or disagreements af- affect you when you're out on the water. And it doesn't pay to be too trusting. <laughs> Because in the end, we had to pay these fishermen a fair amount of money. To yeah, us. of course. Yeah, first to take you out and then got you, ran aground and then help you get out of it. So, yeah, oh, that's that so a, unfortunate. To me, is that because I work on boat from a long time, it's not the first time it happened to me. Uh, it's up at different time with different boat for different reasons. Uh, sometimes it's just an anchor that doesn't keep enough at night. Uh, sometimes it's a bad chart. Sometimes it's a matter of necessity. Sometimes it's or I, or I go down or I ended up on a sandbar that is better. Uh, so anyway, when happened with a sailboat, there's always, there's some few tricks that you can use to get out. And anyway, the first things is to, to stabilize. So if you stop there and the tide is coming up, you will be pushing shallower water. So what you want to do is drop an anchor. I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> you drop an anchor and you keep the position. If the tide will come up, you may be free to go or will be easier to go. If it's an easier sending, uh, you can just take out the mainsail, put a, a big rope, uh, the halyard out on a dinghy, with the dinghy tiding, the boat gonna do like that, and someone with the engine can take, push you out. There's a lot of tree. The thing is, get ready because in the nautical words, they said there's two kind of person: the one that get aground, and the one they don't tell you. They don't tell you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Those who just lie about it. Yeah, fair enough. Those are some good, good tricks for sure. And uh, I mean, yeah, tell me, what kind of boat do you have? What is the tank of a boat that would stand <laughs> this kind of grounding? Uh, this, this is a quite heavy displacement. It's not really known in Europe, but in US and probably in Canada, it's really a famous boat. It's a CSY. This were boat built for, for 10 years only because they build too well and they sell too cheap. So they eventually failed. Uh, so it's a 44 feet, but the weight is almost 18 ton. So it's a really heavy boat, really thick build fiberglass, still decent speed boat. 
it's not slow like the whole classic full kill, but it's, it's tough. It's being, it's, the concept is it is built to be smashed because it was built for bear, bear uh, charter, bear boat charter. So it was built for people that be never on a boat and then they go one week sailing in the Caribbean. So they have to build it really sturdy. <laughs> in fact, they are. They are. It's 40 years, this boat, and yeah. And the sandbar is not the only incident we have, but... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank goodness this one was at least just a sandbar and not a rock, not a reef or anything more uh, solid. But uh, you mentioned it wasn't your only incident, and I do know that you have had the unfortunate chance of... Uh, Coming across another misfortune on your travels, which is having your dinghy stolen. So what happens with the uh, dinghy stories? So the first one has been stolen in Mexico, in uh, Puerto Angel. It's a really little, little town. No one stopped there, I guess, because it's just a little fisherman town. It's, it's amazing if you stop there. And uh, we've been, uh, we've been uh, in the afternoon, we've been at the beach just in front. There's a bar and we've been drinking something with the dinghy on, on the sand. And we saw some guys watching interest on the dinghy, walking by, stopping watching it, you know. But we think it was just, you know, to watch that. And uh, that night... It was quite rolly at the end. It was quite rolly. So we can't hear much difference between, you know, when it's soft, you hear everything. Even someone swimming outside, but not that night. And we had the dinghy hang out on the side. It was locked. Hang out a bit like a, it will be probably 1.5 meter from the water. But someone came and <coughs> cut the ropes. So we wake up in the morning and there were no dinghy. And uh, a local proposed me that if I give him $500, he can find me the dinghy. And I said, no, fuck it. We're going to buy another one if. <laughs> I don't want to give more money to someone like that. Yeah, that's like a kidnapping fee. Like, I may find, I may know where your dinghy is if you just give me a little bit of money and <laughs> don't call yeah. the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, that was the first, within the first six months of our trip. And the last time is happening here is that just last year. Uh, last year. Oh, wow. So was that the same thing? It was secured and locked and somebody came overnight or? This time was no. over secured. Yeah, we had. So we went on land. We went on land. So we have to leave it, leave the dinghy to a public dock. So there's no guard and nothing. It's a public dock. So I locked the engine, the outboard engine, to the dinghy with one lock. Then I lock the dinghy to the pontoon with two lock. All this lock with the, the uh, eight millimeter chain, an anchor chain. So something big. So safer than that, you know, free locker and an anchor chain. And we went back and we find nothing. <laughs> We're only gone a couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, it's a place that we leave the dinghy. It, it's a it. school. It's a school. So it's a kind of safe place. I always leave the dinghy without locking normally. But that day I stay, I know we stay a bit longer away. So let, let's lock it. And after, in two hours after that, we found the, the dinghy, uh, the dinghy, not the engine. So they, they take off the, the engine, the tank, the anchor, the chain, everything good except the dinghy because we have a rare dinghy here because it's a dinghy from New Zealand. No one have it. They can't sell it. It's recognizable 100%. No one have that dinghy. So the dinghy, they probably drop it back, but the engine is gone. Oh, that's terrible. And did you lose the engine on the first dinghy as well? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I guess that's, you know, that's the moneymaker in, in most cases uh, for anybody who's dealing them. And I was going to ask you if you had any tips on how to avoid that. But it kind of sounds like if somebody wants to steal your dinghy, they'll, they're going to find a way. They will steal it, but make the engine look shit. Yes. <laughs> there you soon go. soon as you buy it, paint it, scratch it, whatever, make it look not, not shiny, brand new with the sticker, you know, from the shop. Let's keep it like that. Don't, if you want to keep it like that, every time you go back, you have to take it off, put it inside your boat. And when you go at the bar, you take it off and take it at the bar with you. Otherwise, make it look bad, old, useless. <laughs> because anyway, again, if they want to steal it, they steal it. Yeah, no, I think that's 
probably very true. And I mean, that happens anywhere. I just heard from somebody recently here in Canada who had their dinghy stolen in, you know, in British Columbia. So, you know, when somebody needs a dinghy or an engine, they'll, I guess they'll just go and take it, which is really unfortunate. But do you keep doing the same kind of safety things you did before now, just locking everything and just hoping that nobody steals it? Or have you changed anything since? But now we know that the dinghy is not a, a good thing here, so they don't steal the dinghy. The engine, as soon as we buy the new one, uh, we paint it up in a bad way, you know, like bad painted. So if they do everything, sell it... <laughs> everything, from the head <laughs> to the propeller. And then I modify two things to fit on my dinghy, so it's no more really sellable, you know. Still, you, you, you want to lock it in all the way that you can, fine. But again, uh, in Europe, uh, lately, if they can unlock, they directly saw the wooden part of the dinghy and they take away off. So again, it's hard to prevent. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll find a way if they are really determined. Well, that's really unfortunate. Bet, yeah. The best way normally is to tip with a beer or, you know, with something, someone local where you leave the dinghy at find a place where there's a next uh, a bar or you know spe- this especially in central america it works yeah that's a you good know? idea yeah and i was find going a to- bar where you can drop it in go in the bar drink something and then drop a tip and say hey can you have a look at my dinghy uh, i don't need the money no, grab the money please you know it's it's an insurance <laughs> it's yeah no that's a really good point as well and i actually was going to ask you about you know, Central America and French Polynesia, not just from the safety perspective, but in general, how, since you have experience in both, how would you say they compare? Obviously, you can have your dinghy stolen in either place, but uh, anything else, how would you compare these uh, two destinations? Depends from the country. And and in the countries, depends from some area. An example on top of all, because got the two extreme. It's Panama. Panama, you got, for example, San Blas or Gunayala, that, or little big archipelago of little islands. It's one of the safest places you can be. Uh, they still have some theft, but really little stuff, you know. Maybe if you forgot the fin outside at night, you know, because they need it for fish and stuff. But out of all, that place is safe. And then there's uh, the free bay before in Panama on the Atlantic side. So it's Puerto Bello, Puerto Lindo, and uh, um, Isla Grande. They are three places where you can really risk. I've been there, what, four years, three years? I've been, I've been living there three years and uh, nothing happened to me. But again, because my Cuban background... I know a bit how to deal with with the Latin tags, you know. <laughs> just uh, but is there? Uh, there's a harm robbery, assaulted boats. Uh, so and it's all in the same country, you know. It just depends which area. So yeah, it's it's it depends. Costa Rica was quite safe, feel it safe. Salvador, it's when you go around. Um, we don't find much. Again, if you go around by day, it's different than going around at 10 in the night or, you know, we don't go in discotheque or things like that. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is same in Polynesia here. Apparently, a night is more dangerous. And night here, it means after eight. Because, <laughs> af- yeah, yeah, yeah. Af- af- nine restaurant closed, uh, everything closed, 9.30. They open at 4.30 in the morning. So... Yeah, here is more relaxed. There's less people, there's less poverty too. So they live a good life here, but not everyone again, but there's less homeless here than what you will find in Costa Rica or in Panama, you know? Yeah, a lot of cruising families. So in Central America, we didn't really see many families and kids. Sometimes we miss the Caribbean, you know, fiesta every day, uh, you know, everyone's sunny, uh, yeah, yeah, everyone's shouting, you know, it's, 
I, we, we love here, we love here. Uh, people are really more calm, sometimes too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a different culture. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's totally, I mean, they are fun, they have fun, they play ukulele, you know, but, but it's not, it's not a co- the constant party feeling that you have in, in, in Mexico, for example. Yucatan, where Cancun, for example, even the absent they they talk is it's holiday, you know. They are singing all the time. It's even for me that I'm Italian and they say we sing all the time. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's such a good cultural observation. So yeah, I guess there is. I guess well, French Polynesia take after the French, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, important but is a percentage uh, is a percentage of the value again here the percentage it's uh, it was seven it was seven percent now it's of the value the value is calculated in freeway or you have uh, receipts how much you paid and that's how we do it or uh, you declare a value uh, based on a quotation that there's on some newspaper or you do a market research and you show them this is the average value so this is the value or you have an, a survey if they don't trust you they will uh, force you to have a survey to evaluate the boat it doesn't happen much time because they're quite lazy as soon as you give some money they're happy with this is here for example if if we will go to australia because she's uh, Australian and I'm resident, soon as we step in, uh, if we don't pay importation and VAT, that's another thing, uh, they, they take the boat, put it on land, and you cannot use it till you don't pay importation and VAT. And, and in Australia, it's 10% and 10%. So it ended up being 20% of the value and that they evaluated. Yeah, you don't get to... You have to have a um, third-party survey. Yeah, and so. in the value, they calculate the mo even the money that you spend to get the boat from where you bought it to Australia. That's is included in the value. So it's is why we import here, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds really like a great way to make money for these countries. <laughs> Ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> really, so say, you know, you just paid your fee of, you know, 8% of the value of the boat in French Polynesia. And if you want to go to Australia, you need to pay it again, basically another 20% of the value of the boat. Yeah, every time that you change a country and you stay longer than what they allowed you to stay in transit, uh, yeah. Because Australia, uh, if you, as you Canadian, with a Canadian flag, you go in Australia, you're allowed to stay 11, mo 11 months without importation and then or you leave or you import a boat that's quite good 11 months it's not like Polynesia I think there's no country that give you yeah, two years of or three years like when we were here at the beginning like Polynesia there's is the only country that I know that give you all that time without importation yeah it's quite it's true generous that in, in the Caribbean you just move in the Caribbean, you you never need it because in in, uh, in one day sailing, you know, if you are in Martinique, French country, you go in uh, Saint Martin, the Dutch side, you stay there, then you move again on English BVI. Uh, so you keep changing. You never have to import nowhere. Here, changes it would be a, a long trip. I mean, we have to go to away or to Kiribati or to Cook Island. Yeah, it's a little more involved there. And I think in Europe, it's something like 18 months within the EU. So that's another hassle for anybody who's uh, not or who is planning on staying in Europe for a longer time than you have to do that. But yeah, that's interesting. I kind of always thought that you paid somewhere, but you don't keep paying it. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's an, you know, like you pay once and, or you prove that, yeah, I paid it already in French Polynesia. I'm not going to pay that whole thing again yeah but, we, uh, we want to ask now because we want to know if uh, the importation in french polynesia is is uh it got a value as importation in europe because for something here is europe for some other not i know that the importation here will be valid in in new caledonia too oh okay yeah yeah because that's yeah that's french you know over yeah, these yeah. territories the french so. thing is a good thing because french have an island in every, a couple of islands in every ocean. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've colonized the world just just so that they have a little piece of uh, just about every region. Yeah, they got spots everywhere, you know, in the Indian, in the Pacific, in the Atlantic, <laughs> in the Caribbean. Exactly. Well, that's really interesting, yeah. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're liking French Polynesia enough that you are planning on staying there for a bit. So, Sharon, I know you work full-time from the boat, and I would love to hear about your experience with balancing the cruising lifestyle and the traveling lifestyle with uh, a full-time job. So maybe we'll start by just you explaining what is it that you actually do? 
Um, I'm a chartered accountant, so I work for a small business in country in New South Wales. Right, perfect. So that sounds beautifully suited for remote work because it's not that often that you have to go meet an accountant in person. No. <laughs> and with cloud-based accounting, yeah. Was the job always remote for you or did you kind of take your existing job with you or how did that come about? Yeah, this job that I have right now, um, I've been there for, it's coming on to four and a half years and yeah, it was 100% remote at the time that I joined. So I took it with me. Oh, that's nice. That's awesome. And how do you find balancing the cruising lifestyle, which, you know, you might need to move the boats at an awkward time or, you know, Rico's insisting on doing boat work at certain times. Yeah, and, I'm still you know, trying to find work? that balance. <laughs> I'm still trying to find that balance. Mostly, though, because we've I've had a lot of work these last years. Um, but we have a lot of things to do with the upgrades of the boat. So, But this year, I think it's been a month now, that I asked my boss to have a four-day work week. Um, so I still work my full-time hours, but I work them in four days. So I get a long weekend every week. Oh, nice. It's working out really well. <laughs> yeah, and it will, to... work, it will work really well when we have to, when we come back to sail. Because free day, you know, it's uh, when, here in the Pacific, again, it's not, it's a bit different because every time you move, I mean, yeah, you can go around the island and you don't move much. But if you want to step to other island, apart from Tahiti to Morea, that it's uh, four hours, <laughs> other step, it, it involves always more or less one night of sailing. So one day and one night. And uh, if you have only Saturday and Sunday, it means that you sail there and you sail back. There's no much time to spend there. Or instead, in this way, even if we have to sail back, we will have time to sail back. Or to sail to a place that takes three days to get there, and then she will work from there four days, and then three days we move to another place with a good connection. And uh, Because that's the other things. We can move on place with good connection. <laughs> yeah, we can't just whisk ourselves away to a remote island or a toll. Yeah. Unless I have holidays. <laughs> yeah, and that is a good point, though. So how good is the internet around there? Does it take a lot of planning, or is it mostly generally usually okay or usually not okay? Again, here the Wi-Fi, because we, we're not working satellite. We don't have a satellite internet on board because it will cost billions. Uh, so we, we rely on the Wi-Fis of the islands. And that's another reason why we're here, because even if they are lost at all, a lost island in the middle of the Pacific, almost of them now start to have at least 4G. Uh, here in Tahiti and Morea, it works really, really good. Sometimes better than in Australia or, you know, in some other country. Yeah. But it's got a price tag. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's expensive. It clearly is expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And in your job, do you need a lot of like video calls or is it mostly just dealing with spreadsheets and that sort of data? No, no. Video calls every day. A lot of most of the day now these days, yes, when I train the girls and yeah. What, 60? We need a month, 60 gigabyte. Well, we're using uh, exclude, 20. Exclude Netflix a night. <laughs> what we need? Uh, it's probably about 40 to 50 gigabyte. Monthly? For 28 gigs, it's 5,000 XPF. Yeah, yeah it's, so 50, it's $50 every 30 gig. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, it definitely comes with a price tag. But, you know, it's still doable. It's not like, yeah, it'll cost it's you 1500 yeah. <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah. No, especially if, you know, that allows you to work, which allows you to make money. So, you know, yeah. it's just one of those costs that you need to spend money to make money kind well, of thing. My tax, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah tax deductions for sure <laughs> obviously another thing i would love to talk to you about is your lovely puppies because anybody who follows you guys on instagram knows that you have two just adorable puppies uh bruno and alba uh who've joined the crew you know relatively recently and uh, i'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about them 
So, yeah, we had a dog on board before and was my, with my mother. Was a really bigger dog, was a 28 kilo pit bull, really super educated, but uh, he, he grew on land and then he came on a boat. And, and that one was a big dog and the boat is not a big space and is full of step the boat and tricky things and slippery thing. And, and the other things, uh, she's, she wasn't habit to do what she has to do. So when we have to two days uh, long sail, she won't do it on board. And she was really suffering. So after that experience, I was really reluctant to have another. I, I grew up with dogs, so I love dogs. But I, I was not really happy to have it on board, you know. And, and Sharon started to, because a lot of neighbors here in Polynesia had dogs. And then we baby, we dog sit a dog for a friend of us. And then she started, oh, bye, 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 what a dog. <laughs> and... Uh, all connected, a friend of mine in a group in Facebook said, oh, look at these puppies. <laughs> and it was a video with with a few puppies and Bruno in it. Uh, so, and they, she said they're giving away. So I went to pick it up. And, uh, but it was really, really well cared. You know, it was fat, like, like a piggy or clean. Already habit to do the stuff. Three month old, you know already that you have to to do stuff outside and not inside the boat. And uh, we call him Bruno the Brave because he's not really brave, but <laughs> <laughs> you know he's a bit of a nobile dog, a bit posh. He, he sleep on the sofa and all this stuff. But then then uh, we try to to take Bruno together with other dogs and. Uh, the first experience for Bruno was quite traumatic. So then he was more scared than was he was already before. And, and we started to be worried because we said, we're going to be, we're going to have a, a misfit dog <laughs> because he already he lived on a boat for a lot of time and there's no other dogs around him. Already he think of that is a, ma- a person because, you know, he behave, <laughs> you know, on the sofa and stuff. So we have to find a, a, a companion, you know, someone that stay with him. So I get in touch with this, uh, another person because here is kind of a, a trend. Now a lot of people start to have this kind of dog because it's a puppy dog, a toy dog and all these things. Uh, so I search and in this group, I find these people and they send me some picture of some puppies and I say, oh, okay, yeah, that's okay. Um, and then uh, just one day before they said, are you sure you want it white or you want it, you want it white curly or you want it sandy, but straight hair. And uh, I don't want it curly. I want it s- straight hair like Bruno. So she sent me a picture of this other puppy clearly in another contest already in the picture, but in the picture wasn't looking that bad. So we reached to have it delivered here in Morea from Tahiti. So they take the ferry and we wait them at the ferry terminal here in Morea. And they arrive with this tiny dog covered with, uh, how do you call it? Uh, uh, the fleas. Fleas, covered with fleas. On their eyes, dirty, with an infection she on the heat. Smells. Smell terrible. And was the worst rainy day we ever had. In Morea, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Pouring rain. The bay, the bay was brown because the river, when the rain a lot, the river take down the ground. So from, from blue, it become brown. So in that situation, we have to deeper in salty water. <laughs> we deeper in salty water for a while. And then we wash it with uh, vinegar and then, uh, shower on that can see better than me. <laughs> she take one by one off all the insect and then we rinse her again and we wash it. And she take a couple of days to, to get happy. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of weeks to be accepted by Bruno that still was super scared about a little puppy, you know. She was so lovely though. But she, she never give up. She yeah. never <laughs> she was, Growling at her and everything, and she never give up. She tried kissing him yeah. all the time. And now they, they are inseparable. They go everywhere together. They move together. And the next problem we're going to have is we're going to have to sterilize 
Uh, Alba? Yes. Otherwise, we're going to have a lot of puppies on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is true. That is true. But I'm so glad to hear that, you know, you guys were able to provide a better hope for Alba than what she had before. And obviously, you know, again, judging on Instagram, but she's definitely living the you know, life for sure. They're cruising around, living in a boat, hanging with Bruno. <laughs> The point we would have saved uh, some puppies from uh, a shelter. Uh, the biggest problem we for don't. us was that uh, the dimension. So you don't know. You don't know. You know. You will know too late if uh, if is a um, little size, a middle size, uh, because they are all little and cute when they are little and cute. But then you can end it up with a, again with a twenty-eight kilo on a boat. If you have a catamaran, maybe, but not on a boat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, the size does make a difference. Uh, and I guess having two smaller dogs is still smaller than having one big dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even, you know, transportation, safety issue. If you have to abandon the boat, those two, I can grab it under my arm. Uh, you know, my mother's people, he grabbed me under his arm and put me in the dinghy. There's no you know, way I could have lifted it up myself. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And again, something that dog owners kind of have to think about. What do you actually do if there is an emergency like that? So, But how have they adjusted to boat life? I mean, obviously, they're puppies, so they grew up to be boat dogs. How has that been, their sailing experience and all that? They're good. They're good, yeah. Uh, both of the puppies got sick the first time they sailed. Yeah, first time we sailed was a bit wavy. Yeah, so, and... Uh, they feel a bit sick, but you know the good things of dog sick. They go sleepy. They they don't drive crazy like human. Take me on land. Take me on land. Call the helicopter. You know these things. They go sleepy, so it's it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've fallen out of the boat a couple of times each. Yeah, never sailing. Never sailing. Bruno just loves to be in the water now, so he will just do it just to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to go for a swim and now at the marina he knows he can go jump out of the boat and then swim swim to land and then go exploring so but he doesn't do that he doesn't do that when we're not here it's more when one of us is on the boat and the other one goes which is usually rico rico going and me on the boat but alba yeah she after after a couple of times of falling over like falling over and overboard into the water she hasn't done it again so the first time was obviously getting used to her environment and the fact that there's no fence or anything to, <laughs> to hold her. The second time was it was, yeah, it was just after it rained and she was just in a hurry to jump from the cockpit outside and she jumped too fast and flew out, the <laughs> flew out into the water. So now even like just, yeah, noticing what she does is she, she will jump out, pause, and then continue on to walking on the deck. Um, so they've learned quite quickly. Um, Bruno could never go up and down the stairs into the cockpit. Alba could always go up but never come down. So it's only been recently that Rico has installed a little ramp so we don't have to wake up at 3 in the morning <laughs> to come and get her downstairs. <laughs> That's a good point. I've kind of always thought I have a small dog as well. And I'm kind of thinking that it doesn't matter if he can't. It's almost better if he can't go up the stairs by himself because then I will know where he is if I need to lift him up and down the stairs all the time. But I don't know. Maybe that gets annoying after a while. <laughs> yeah, for us it was amazing. But Alba reached in a circus way to do the stairs anyway. So she go out in the middle of the night to do what she have to do, and then she come back and start to whine that she want to come back. So so now we have a ramp. She go to the bathroom and she come back. <laughs> but Bruno so always funny. waited because he didn't go up. Bruno is, is because yeah. he's nobody. He's, he's lazy. He's, I just wait. Yeah, Bruno always waited. <laughs> he likes his comforts. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Well, thank you for sharing all these fun and uh, some unfortunate uh, misfortunes that you've had on your cruising experience so far they've been really entertaining and educational but uh, where can people go follow you guys and Bruno and Alba online yeah the most activity we do have is on Instagram 
um, yeah. at Gypsy Travelers. Yeah, at the yeah. moment, yeah. At the moment, yeah. It's a lot to do. It's with. all a work in progress. <laughs> so we have a lot of stuff to build uh, on the web too. We finished to build the board, and we build it in the web, and it's sort of a process. <laughs> exactly. All right. So both projects first, and then building the online projects. But yeah, definitely your Instagram account is fantastic, and I will link it down in the description so everybody can go check that out. Definitely check out Sharon and Rico on Instagram. It's one of those Instagram accounts that, for me, it helps keep the dream alive when I see what the cruising life could be. And I hope you got some good tips on how to avoid some of the misfortunes from happening. And actually, on that note, if you have stories or tips on how to avoid engines and dinghies being stolen, get in touch with me on Instagram or Facebook, uh, where you can find me as Liverpool Sailing Podcast, or you can shoot me an email at hello at liverpoortsailingpodcast.com. As always, thank you for listening. Next week, it's time for another Liverboard story, this time from a more North American perspective. So stay tuned. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.